In the beginning was the word. Oh, I see. You think uh, religion is for suckers and easy marks and mollycoddles, huh? You think Jesus is some kind of a sissy, eh? Jesus had guts. Our guest is George McArdle, former bass player for the Little River Band. How are you doing, George? Yeah, very well, thanks, Matt. It's great to have you in the studio with us today. We've got uh, your brand new CD in our hot little hands here called Stingray. Tell us a bit about the album. Well, I uh, recorded that over about a four-year period with mm-hmm. a friend of mine, and uh, it's been available now for about 18 months. Mm-hmm. I'm very happy with it. Called on some favours from some mates of mine mm-hmm. around the country, and uh, it's got some of your... Finest musicians in Australia on it. And Very cool. Danny Sporowski on keyboards and saxophone. Stuart mm-hmm. Fraser from Farnham's Band on mm-hmm. guitars. Now, about 25 years ago, George, I happened to go on a mission trip to Fiji and I thought I was very cool when I brought back my very first cassette stereo player. And, of course, the first cassette that I happened to buy was a little river band cassette. Now, for the sake of our listeners, maybe they haven't heard how the name Little River Band came to be. Just give us a little background on that one. Well, the band was formerly called Mississippi. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, back in those days, I wasn't a member of the band. Very different river. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. They'd been around for a number of years as Mississippi. They had actually recorded an album. And uh, they were heading down to Geelong in Melbourne, in Victoria, to do a show. Drove through Little River, the town. One of the guys said, hey, that would be a great name for an album because the band was called Mississippi. And Mm -hmm. one of them said, no, it would be a great name for a band. So they decided to completely change their identity and rename the band and started afresh with a new manager, a new lineup, and a new name, Little River Band. And how long were you a part of the band for? Three years. Mm-hmm. And did you end up writing any of the songs? Were you a part of any of the big hits they had? Well, all of those songs are uh, band yeah, the whole compilations band, yeah. because mm-hmm. when one of the writers would bring a song in, it would very often be a shadow of what it would become with the input after the input of the other musicians. Mm-hmm. So, you know, everybody had a part to play in making those songs. And so LRB were the first Aussie group to make the top ten charts in the US, achieving yeah. gold status. Yeah. That's pretty impressive. And uh, it's the only band of any nationality to have scored a top ten hit in the US for six consecutive years. Yeah. Yeah, we were very uh, successful in the United States, probably more so than in Australia. Okay. And tell me, uh, was it Glenn Shorrock, the lead singer, when you were there? Yeah, Glenn Shorrock. After I left, John Farnham joined the band for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. I think he did a couple of albums with them, and then he relaunched his solo career, which was very successful. I had the opportunity to play in his band after I left Bible College, and I turned it down. Well, you know, you make a decision like that, there's no point hopping from one side mm-hmm. of the fence to the other continuously, mm-hmm. so... Mm-hmm. Just drove a nail in the coffin and left it at that. You were just sharing before about what life was like for you growing up. Well, my dad was an alcoholic. He had a mental illness and he was quite a violent man and we uh, were pretty much terrorised as kids living in that house with him. All the neighbours felt sorry for us. One of the neighbours came in one day with a gun, threatened to blow my dad's head off if he didn't stop. (laughs) My dad grabbed hold of the uh, barrel of the gun just pulled it out of the guy's hand. He was out of control, you know. Mm. And uh, it was terrible. And uh, Portland Street is about my childhood and how um, I uh, grew up in that atmosphere. 
and survived it, you know. My sister didn't. There's this line in the song that says, my little sister is gone, she vanished forever. She used the hammer to kill the pain in her heart. The hammer is a street name for heroin. She was a heroin addict and she didn't make it. But um, it was pretty traumatic growing up. It leaves you with a bit of baggage, you know, that you have to deal with and the song sort of talks about that. But I, um, I was carrying a lot of that baggage in LRB and people wouldn't have realised that because we were riding high on this wave of success. But touring the United States, we were in Minnesota and it was snowing out, so it was very cold. And Beeb and Graham made a uh, decision to go and buy me a Bible for my birthday and they went across town in the freezing cold. I was quite impressed that they would do that for me. And they bought me a living Bible and I started reading it and um, was impacted immediately by it. I came back to Melbourne. I went to a um, baptismal service at a church in Melbourne. I got baptised. And that night, I looked up at the ceiling because I I felt humiliated, a bit of a public spectacle in that baptismal service. And I went home and I just said, God, I'll never set foot in that church again. Mm. And I went to sleep very happy with my decision. But I woke up in the middle of the night, my bed shaking like an earthquake. And the ceiling opened and God's presence filled my bedroom. And he spoke to me there in the middle of the night and gave me a vision of heaven. And I laid there, I don't know, for half an hour or so in this incredibly life-changing experience. And uh, I didn't know what to do except that I had to follow this. And I left LRB about a month later because of that. And I didn't know what to do then. I went to Bible college for three years and I gave everything away while I was at Bible college. Uh, My house, I had that encounter with God in my house in Melbourne. I gave the house away. I had a brand new Range Rover. I gave that away. I had thousands of dollars in the bank. I gave it all away. I just wanted to put all my eggs in one basket and say, well, you know, God, you've done this in my life. I can trust you. And so I just took that leap of faith. That's 35 years ago. That's a big jump. Brave move. (laughs) Yeah. So what happened after Bible college? I, I went home to Melbourne and I... I was itinerating around Australia, sharing my testimony in churches, and I got to know a lot of men and pastors, and one of them asked me if I'd like to um, look after the church at Ely Beach because they'd lost their pastor. The church was without a pastor at all. Nice location. (laughs) He said, all you'll have to do is preach twice on Sundays and run a home group through the week, and uh, the rest of the time you can enjoy the holiday while you're up there because it was only going to be for a month or two. Mm Mm-hmm. So after a month up there, they didn't find another guy, so they asked me to stay on. I experienced what it can be like passing a church, and I wasn't really prepared for it. You know, I was a rock and roll musician from the wrong side of the tracks, really. And once I accepted the position full-time, some of the terms and conditions changed. I had to... uh, provide my own finances, and uh, I got a job working with a painter. Painting Padre. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) Well, I was painting this house, and I was painting this house for some uh, people that attended my church, and I was up on this ladder, and uh, the ladder slipped. I was up high, and I swore, and I was outside the bedroom window of this couple in the church, and I thought, gee, I'm pastoring the church, and if they just heard me swear... And I climbed down and I knocked on the front door, couldn't hear anybody, so I tiptoed inside the house, scared that they'd heard me use that language, you know, as it turned out there was nobody home. I don't think I was ready to take on a responsibility like that. And after 12 months, I decided to uh, bow out gracefully and I came down to Brisbane. I just needed to get used to being a Christian. I felt like a bit of a fish in a bowl up there, whereas I hadn't gone through the normal teething process of being 
a Christian in a church environment and just being a normal person and just living normally in the world. I'd gone from one big event being in LRB to another larger than life thing being a pastor in a church and it was just... uh, Quite a contrast. It was never going to work (laughs) with who I was, you know. So it's been, in some respects, it's been a a journey to normality Mm -hmm. for me. I thought when I left LRB, I'd had this incredible encounter with God. It was just going to be one huge event after another, and I was going to be Australia's Billy Graham and turn the place upside down. Zealous. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, life is not like that. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. This song you've written, uh, Redemption, it's a bit about how you led your father to the Lord. Tell us that story. Well, my dad in his last days was in a home for alcoholic men in Melbourne, and uh, we used to pray for him every Wednesday night at a home group I was attending. I said, stop, I'm not going to pray for him anymore. I have to do something about it. I'm going to go down to Melbourne and share the gospel with him. And a lady in the meeting said, well, I'll give you my frequent flyer points. You can have them. So I flew down to Melbourne. I took him out. I went to the home. I got him and I took him out for coffee. And we s- sat opposite each other in this little cafe. And I said, Dad, I just want you to know that I love you. And I'm glad you're my dad. I wouldn't want another dad. And Maureen's death wasn't your fault. I just want you to forgive me for being such a a ratbag of a son because I was in street gangs and brawling and fighting. I've got no bone in one eye socket, in the bottom of my eye socket, from getting beaten up in a brawl. So I had good reason to say that to him. And he said, oh, son, I should be asking you for forgiveness. I said, no, Dad, I want you to forgive me. And he said, okay, I'll forgive you. And then um, I said, I just want to know that when I go to heaven, that you'll be there. And he said, son, I'm not going to heaven. I know it, not with, not the way I've lived. And he had an experience there because he said, well, how, how could I go to heaven? And I said, well, you just pray this prayer. You say, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Make me a new person. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but if you've ever really done the wrong thing, and you carry it around inside. And your kids, you might get up for breakfast and one of your kids say, Dad, North Melbourne's playing tonight on the footy. You go, yeah, that's great. But you're not thinking about it because you know you've done the wrong thing. You get to the point where nothing else matters but putting that thing right with God, you know. I've been there and you get on your knees and you say, God, forgive me. And God touches you. and You know you're forgiven. He had that experience. He knew he was forgiven. He never bought a Bible. He, he, he spent his last days in the home till he died. But the matron said to a friend of my mum's, Bob's changed, because my dad changed his name from George to Bob because he was afraid that people would find out about his past. He was paranoid. He changed his name to Bob, and the woman said, Bob has changed. He always just sat in the room, sullen and depressed. She said that he, he developed an interest in the gardens and potting the plants and pulling the weeds. And I knew that, to me, told me a little bit of eternal life, a little bit of light had come into his darkened soul. And I believe I will see him again. And uh, I believe God touched him that day. George, it's been so good uh, to have you in the studio with us today. Thanks for coming in. Thanks very much for having me. Looking forward to uh, hearing more from you uh, in the future. Okay, me too. (laughs) God bless you with all that's ahead. Thanks for joining us on History Makers. If you'd like to hear this interview again, just go to historymakersradio.com. There you can download interviews, subscribe to the podcast, make a donation, find out about our YouTube channel, and maybe connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Just go to historymakersradio.com for more. You know, the vision of History Makers is to share the good news of Jesus Christ through conversation to the nations of the world. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm Matt Prater. Why don't you go and make history? History Makers.